better choices today. Anybody ever had bad decisions? Huh? We got a lot of those. You know, the 20-year-olds, they don't make bad decisions because they haven't made enough of them yet. But the older we get, we're like, oh my gosh, what I should have done, things that we should have done, things that we shouldn't have done. My favorite, if any of you have ever had these, where you go, hey everybody, watch this. And then you do something really stupid and that probably wasn't a good idea. Yeah? <laughs> watch this. I'm going to jump off this van and go down into that. I always think about when uh, I had a friend of mine break his leg when we were kids. And my fr- we had a van. This is back in like, I, I don't want to date myself, but they used to have big vans. You know what I'm saying? You know when everybody had like the big, big like Econoline van? Well, a friend of mine had it when we were in school. He, we'd, we'd go to the gravel pits where I grew up. And so uh, he'd back the van up to the edge of the, the gravel pit, and we'd get up on the top of the van, right? I mean, this is like how genius we were. And we would run off the van, and we would jump into the gravel pit. Well, a friend of mine did it, and he missed, and he landed on the ground, and he broke his leg. So it was kind of like, hey, everybody, watch this. He jumps, boom, breaks his leg. Oh, man, we've got to take him to the hospital. It was pretty bad, but anyway, he was all right. He just broke his ankle, but it wasn't a fun thing. <laughs> I think decision making has to come into play in our current generation. They say that, the, that in the world today, people are having more and more difficulty making decisions. You know why? Because we have so many choices. The choices that we have in today's world are huge. Have you ever seen Netflix? Right? You know, are you going like, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to watch a comedy movie, and there's like 500 of them? And you scroll through 500 of them, takes 45 minutes, and you're like, oh, I'm not watching anything. You know, because there's too many choices. We have so many choices. And so there's a difficulty with making decisions because of the number of choices. And what happens is, is it makes people fear, fear, fearful of making imperfect decisions. Because we don't want to make the wrong decision, or because there are so many options, we don't make any decision at all. One of the keys, and we're going to get into a few keys of, of uh, decision-making. I'm going to talk a little bit about just foundational things this morning. But one of the keys to making, perfect, making better decisions, say it with me, is to limit my options. Reduce your options, and you'll make better decisions. If you have 100 options, you're probably not going to choose very well. But if you take those 100 options and you narrow them down to 5 or 10, you're going to make a better decision. That's the first thing, is narrowing your options. Next slide. It's God's will that we make better choices. The key to a better future is making better better choices. If we keep choosing the same people, the same places, and the same things, we're going to end up in the same spot. It's very, very important. Number one is you have to learn. Another one is that you learn from your mistakes. You ever heard this one? Experience is the best teacher. Right? We teach that here. Is that true? Okay. But better yet, experience isn't the best teacher unless it's evaluated. You understand? Say this with me. Experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. You can keep doing the same thing over and over again. That's the definition of stupidity. Right? Einstein said the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, we do the same things over and over again because we never evaluate the decision. We never evaluate the choice or the action. Even bad ones, we're to evaluate our bad choices and we have to understand why did we do that? 
what happened here, what went wrong, what could have, what, what could have, done, what could have uh, happened differently. We evaluate that decision so that we don't repeat the decision. Understand? God does not want us. And the children of Israel kept making poor choices, and because they made poor choices, they spent 40 years playing a game called, here we go round the mountain. Because of their poor choices, they couldn't get out of the cycle of here we go round the mountain. If you want to break the cycle of poor choice, stop going around the mountain, and you want to move to the next place, you've got to learn to be able to make better decisions. People, places, and things determine your future. Let's just say that, because we want to embed this in you. Say this with me. People, places, and things will determine my future. Your future is not determined by fate or random acts. Random acts happen, but you are in far more control over your future than you realize. Your choices directly affect your future. Directly. The people you associate with, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company correct, corrupts good morals. In other words, you're, you're kidding yourself if you're thinking about hanging out with the wrong crowd and that's not going to affect you. Of course it is. Right? We play this game where you get somebody to stand up on a chair and somebody stands on the ground. Is it easier to pull the person up on the chair or is it easier to pull the person off the chair? It's easier. So in other words, if you want to stand higher and everybody else wants to stand lower and you go, hey, I'm going to pick everybody up. No, you're not. That law is going to show, that, that physical law is going to show you that they're going to pull you down more likely than you are to pull them up. The places that we go to, sometimes the places that we go to, the, and, and in those places, the places that we go to and the people that we associate with are not the most healthy things for us. Would you agree? We put ourselves in negative and toxic environments. And we wonder why that we have, there's a negative, toxic result in our life because we find ourselves being constantly put in a, in a toxic environment. Things. Okay, I know this is hard for a lot of us, but sometimes our own family members are the most toxic people in the world. Amen. Just say it, right? Yeah, I'm glad you guys are honest crowd here this morning. Our family members oftentimes are the hardest people to get along with, right? I love my family. I got nothing against my family, okay? But I, but, but I get around certain environments, and it's a negative to me. And I, and it's like, and so we get into this whole thing like, oh, well, it's your family and you got to, you know, yeah, but it's having a negative effect on me. So I can't, I have to deal with, deal with that in measure. I can't be around that all the time. You know, I can't like disown my family, right? But I can't be around it all the time. I'm not talking about my wife and kids. I'm talking about the greater scope of our family. I mean, I can't like, Sherry, I'm sorry. I just can't be around you all the time. It's not like that. That's not the issue. A lot of times our old environments have a problem over our life, especially when you become a Christian, because everybody wants to see you in light of who you were, not who you are. Right? Well, this is who you've always been. Well, who do you think? You're better than us? You know, what do you think? You know, you, just that kind of thing. Then the things that we do, they determine our future. So we have to learn from our mistakes. We have to evaluate these experiences. A lot of times you're in toxic environments and you put yourself in toxic relationships and you keep wondering why your heart gets broken. You keep wondering why you feel undervalued. You keep wondering why all this insecurity constantly visits you because you're choosing poorly. You're choosing to be around unhealthy people. Safe people. Big arrow people. What are big arrow people? 
People that point you up and not down. You understand? You have to get around big arrow people. And you have to be a big arrow person. If you're the person that never walks on the sunny side of the street, I would tell you, cross the road. Right? The sun's shining. Get out of the rain. If you're a believer, you have hope over your life all the time. Hope is over you. Undeniable hope is over you. You just have to choose to walk in it. But you yourself have to become a big arrow person. You have to learn to encourage and exhort others. We have to look for the good and not the bad. I'm not saying ignore the bad. Stick your head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist. A friend of mine told me one time, Kevin, you'll never have a crisis as long as you don't view it as a crisis. There will be no crises in your life as long as you stop viewing them. If you keep viewing them as crises, everything's going to be a crisis. But when you view them as an opportunity, or you view them as something that you must go through, or you view them as something that's happening, if your perspective of it changes, then the result, that, then the result of it is going to change. We have to view things differently. It's a crisis, right? I'm with you. We want to have pity parties. Our emotions, like we like to have, we, you know, a lot of people, their emotions are like gymnasts, right? Doing backflips and iron cross and you know high bar and everything we like to we like to go to gymnastic events within our emotions we have to get control of that man we have to bring that into order <laughs> somebody knows what i'm talking about <laughs> we have to learn from our mistakes we have to make better better choices about the people places and things and here's a big one we have to learn ourselves you have to learn you i'm not like you you're not like me oh happy day right? Jesus is a diverse God. He likes diversity. We're all different in many ways. One of the ways we learn ourselves is to ask the Lord. This is again the power of the believer. The believer has power that other people don't. So if we have an opportunity and we have power that other people don't, what are we waiting for? We need to access the power that's available to us. No, he, David asked, he said, search me, God, know my heart, test me, and see what I'm anxious about. In other words, tell me what my major malfunction is. Why am I freaking out? Have you ever asked the Lord that? Have you ever asked the Lord why you're anxious? Have you ever asked the Lord why you get fearful? Have you ever asked Him? An amazing thing's going to happen. He's going to tell you. Huh. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you, this is your problem. This is why. You're afraid of this. You're afraid of going into poverty. Okay, now then what's the next question? Well, why am I afraid of going into poverty? Because you don't know who you are. Oh, I don't know who I am? And no, or here's a better one, because you have the sin of unbelief. You know how many times the Lord's told me that? Oh, what do you mean I have the sin of unbelief? You don't believe I am who I said I am. You don't believe that I will do what I said I will do. Because if you, believed who I, who, who, if you believed me when I said, this is who I am, you would respond to these circumstances and these situations entirely different than what you are. Come on. Right? It's true. But we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. And you know why? Because we like it over here. Or better yet, we feel insecure if God was to correct us. But you know what the negative result of that is when you will not allow the Lord to correct you? This is the hard part. You will stay the same. That is one of the worst things that could ever happen in your life is that you stay the same. 
People are afraid of change, but we serve a God of change. He doesn't change, but He's calling us to change. He's transforming us from a broken condition into a reformed condition, into a whole condition. The worst thing in your life is for you to stay the same. That's why when the angel was walking, Jesus was walking away from Jacob. It was Jesus he was wrestling with. And Jesus was, it was, it's a wrestling match. Yeah, there was some, you know, some boom, elbow smashes to the face. and it's probably some leg drops going on there, right? But Jesus was wrestling with him to get him on his program. And Jacob wouldn't listen. And so the Lord goes, I'm leaving. And Jacob said, don't leave unless you bless me. And you know what his blessing was? Change. He wanted a blessing. He wanted a chest of treasure. You know, he wanted everything to go smooth and great. But that wasn't what Jesus blessed him with. He blessed him with change. He changed his identity. He changed his nature. So we think that change is a negative when change is actually a positive. Don't leave me the same, was what Jacob said. Don't leave me here in my current condition. God help us all. Do you want to be the same? I don't. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to keep visiting the same things that I've always visited. I don't want to be in the same position spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially that I was five years ago. And if you do, you need to give yourself a couple of high karates and snap out of it. Wake up. God is a God of change. And we have to ask Him, when we don't know what our problem is, we have to ask Him what our problem is. I'll give one for the men. Men are angry and they don't know why. Mm-hmm. You're mad and you don't know why. We have different types of anger as men. We have volcanic anger. We have passive anger. And we have latent anger. That's there, but nobody knows it's there. Until every now and then, the double-headed dragon shows its head and lets everybody know. There's some latent anger here. Have you ever asked the Lord what you're angry about? Why am I so mad? What is my problem? Why is it when, they, when somebody does this, I go there? Why is it when somebody says this, I go there? Why? Why? And you've got to grab the chair and let Jesus tell you. Never be satisfied. Say this with me. Never be satisfied with Jesus' first answer. In other words, ask Him for the next one. If he says, you're angry because you're insecure. Oh, I'm angry. Jesus said I'm insecure. Nah, 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 nah. You ask him, why am I insecure? What is the root of my insecurity? And if you'll deal with that, then you won't have the insecurity, and then you won't have the anger problem in that area anymore. It's an amazing thing. We hack at the branches. Here, you just need to learn to calm yourself. You need to learn some deep breathing exercises. And if you'll learn some deep breathing exercises, you won't have an anger problem anymore. Says who? Says who? The anger is that, come on, can I get a witness here? This stuff is true. Women tend to deal more with fear. Just saying, ladies, you deal with fear. Why am I afraid? Why am I insecure? What is the root of my fear, Lord? Your fear is rooted in this. And the first one's always an offense, so you know. 
The first thing is always an offensive. When Jesus tells you the first thing, it's always offensive to you. That's right. Look at the Syrophoenician woman. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And he looks at her. Your problem is you're not in covenant with me. That's what he told her. I have no obligation to you. And she was offended. And you know what Jesus does? Here's what he does. He waits to see if you will push away. Or he waits to see if you will press in. She could have pushed away and thrown dirt up in the air and said, how dare that Hebrew prophet call me a dog? But she didn't. She went even lower. And she said, but dogs even eat the crumbs from the table, Lord. And she got what she asked. When Jesus tells you the root of your problem, the first problem is going to offend you. Because you're probably at the, sore, you are, you are, you are at the door of your malfunction. It's not your neighbor, it's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your job, it's not your boss, it's not your bank account, it's not the president, it's not the Congress, it's not the stock market, you. You. And so when he tells you, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to tell you, you. And then he's going to wait and see if you'll ask him for something else. And if you don't, he'll let you go your merry way. And better yet, if you never ask him, he will never tell you. Read your Bible. The only time Jesus answered a question was when he was asked. He never answered anything anybody didn't ask him. And he would say difficult things, man. Crazy things. And everybody would act like they had it all together. I mean, have you ever read it? I mean, I use this example a lot. Some of the things that he said eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody acts like they know what he's talking about? At that time, they didn't know what he was talking about. We know now what he's talking about because we have an understanding. But at that time, they didn't, but everybody's acting like, oh, yes, drink his blood and eat his flesh. Yes, absolutely. And they went away stubborn and locked in their state because they never asked the question. That's our problem. Our problem is we're like Adam and Eve. We want to blame everybody else. It was her. It was the serpent. You know what I'm saying? He blamed her, she blamed the serpent. When the whole time they were the one that made the decision. It was their problem. They didn't believe God was who he said he was. Why did we eat of that tree, Lord? Because you didn't believe me. Because you thought you had all the answers. You thought I wasn't good. We don't want to hear that. But until we learn to hear that, we're not going to change. We can, we can continue to play hypocritical, fake, plastic Christianity all we want to. But until you come to that place, and I don't care who you are, I know pastors are the same way. They hide behind self-righteousness, they pretend that they're better, and they pretend that they have all the answers, when inside they're a wreck. Yeah? Until you come to, I don't care who they pretend to be. This is real, and this is part of the human condition. And this is how Jesus works his process out in our life, is we have to ask him. Christians love to play holy. Oh, we love to play holy. Like we got it all together. Really? Should we bring your kids in and ask and interview them? What would they say? Let's bring in your spouse. How would they say in an unfiltered moment? What would they say? we got to get to the root of our issues. we got to learn to recognize our issues and begin to ask God, what is my problem? He's not going to hurt you. If you think He's going to hurt you, you don't know Him. 
He doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. A smoking wick He will not quench. A broken reed He will not bend. He's in the restoration business, not the demolition business. He restores. If He tears anything down, you can rest assured He's going to build something back. That's what He does. So you need to know that He's good and you need to learn to ask Him questions even if it vibrates you to the, le- to the level of your soul or you will never change. I don't care how much you read your Bible. You see, I've been around this stuff way too long. And I know lots of people that know lots of things but are no different. Huh? No different. Because they never confront their issues within their own hearts and they never seek God for the answer. Or they get one answer, they get offended, they leave, and then they never ask Him another question. When you come to the place that I know the first thing that comes out of His mouth is going to offend me, I know it. I know it. When I go to ask Him something, I know He's going to offend me. Not Jesus. Jesus wouldn't offend anybody. He's loving, fairy Jesus. That's what the current generation would portray Him as. When His Word says He's a rock of offense, if you fall on the rock, you'll be broken. But if the rock falls on you, you're going to be crushed. If you fall on Him, He's going to break you in order to bring life out of you. He's going to break you in order to release something from your life. But if you don't, there's going to be a grinding that comes against your life that you're not going to like. Come on, who said that? I got one over here. Here we go. That's all, that's all I need. I just need one. <laughs> we have to ask Him. So when there's a problem going on with you, you need to recognize it. Why am I freaking out, Lord? Take a moment. Why am I anxious? What's going on with me? What's going on with me? Crickets, crickets, crickets. Keep asking. What's going on with me? Until He speaks. Why am I afraid? Keep asking until He speaks. And He's going to offend you. Grab the chair. I'm all right with it. I like Jesus giving me a good snap out of it, Kevin. Okay, Lord, now what do I need to do? We get so dulled, man. Our lenses get so dulled. We start believing all this nonsense, and God needs to slap us out of it. When He confronts you with the sin of unbelief, you see how it feels. Let Him tell you, you have the sin of unbelief. (sighs) I'm a pastor. I know my Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I can recite 30 doctrines, Lord. I could teach six Bible studies a week, lay hands on the sick. I could do all this stuff. What do you mean I don't have faith? What are you trying to tell me? You don't believe me here. You're not believing me here. You don't believe I'm a chain breaker or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You don't believe I'm a provider or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Just saying. We have to ask the question. And then we have to ask, what is the root of my unbelief? And then try this one on. You don't know me. I'm telling you the stuff he's told me. You don't know me. What do you mean I don't know you? Again, I'm offended. How dare you tell me I don't know you? I've walked with you all these years and you're telling me I don't know you? Yep. That's what I'm telling you. You don't know me. So what's my next question? Where or how is it that I don't know you? You see the point? This is a, this is a, it's a process. We're lazy people, and we get lazy results. If you don't want the results, don't ask him anything. Go your way. Be like the nation of Moab. Never emptied themselves out. The Bible says their scent remained. You think, oh, Jesus is transforming me. Not unless you start asking questions. 
The Bible by itself will not transform you until you engage it. Knowledge doesn't change anything. You can know all the, th- all the right things, and, but you couldn't care less. That churches are filled with people like that. Knowing all the right things, but couldn't care less. Oh, I know all about tithing, Pastor. Yes, of course, Malachi 3. I know all about it. Matthew, what is it, Matthew 16? Yeah, I know all about it. Yes, of course, I know all about it, Pastor. Yes, yes, yes. Do you do it? No. We got all the knowledge. Oh, yes, praying for the sick, laying hands on the sick. Absolutely. I believe God's a healer. You prayed for anybody like No. Oh, God, God, you know, perfect love casts out fear. I know all that, Pastor. Yes, thank you for that verse. Thank you, thank you. Thank you that perfect love casts out fear. Well, then why are you afraid? Because you don't understand perfect love. No, I know it. There's a whole lot of difference between knowing it. Whole lot of difference. You can know it. You know what the Bible calls it when you know it, and it's not revelation? Intellectual idolatry. You worship what you know. You don't live what you know. You worship what you know. You idolize your knowledge. And that's a problem. Well, somebody needs this this morning. This is coming. Come on. Where's the offense, Lord? And then what's he say? Lead me. What's my problem? He's going to show you a problem, and you're going to go, I don't have the slightest clue how to fix that. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you. And most of the time, it's going to relate to a step of faith. Most of the time. Number three, develop your identity. Say this with me. The who precedes the do. So many people want to know, what does God want me to do? You have to understand, the who is more important to him than the do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Because who you are will affect everything that you do. But if you don't know who you are, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter because there's no change there anyway. You have to know who you are, and when you know who you are, that will affect everything that you do. Proverbs 23.7, For as a person thinks in his heart, so they are. As you believe and perceive, so you will be. Let's just say that. As I believe... And as I perceive, so I shall be. I don't believe that. Well, good luck with that, because that is an eternal truth. As you see God and as you see yourself, that is what you will manifest. If you believe God is not good, you will manifest that in your life. That's what's going to be known in your life. If you believe he's harsh, you believe he's judgmental, you believe he's ecumenical, that that Jesus isn't the only Savior, when you start understanding that Christ is Lord, and you know that and believe that, that changes everything. When you know that you're a son and daughter, and you don't just go, oh yeah, I'm a son and daughter, and hold it out there as some abstract idea, but you start owning that, and you own that, and you go, wait a second, I am a son before my father. What does that mean? That now affects everything that I do. Everything I do is now affected by that identity. Or I'm born again and I'm saved, but I draw my earthly identity from my, my heritage, my, my, uh, my earthly lineage. I don't draw my heritage from any of my earthly lineage. My blood flows from heaven and heaven alone. And it doesn't mean I don't love my ancestors and all that, boom, boom, but I cut that off long ago. And I stand before the Lord as my Father. My heritage is from Him, and my heritage is unto Him. My bloodline flows with holy blood. I do not, come, I do not draw my identity from Adam's as Adam and all of the ancestors coming after him. I draw my identity from the last Adam and from Christ alone. 
huge difference in your life. When you get that and you start owning that, it's going to affect everything. The do will start lining up with the who. But until you get the who right, the do doesn't line up. That's why. That's why we drift. Because we don't have the who right. 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. You know what that means? Set apart. So what's God's will? What does God want me to do? He wants you to be set apart. Well, what's the next question? What does that mean? You understand that? We all go, well, sanctification. Yes, the Lord wants to be sanctified. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. All that is in me. Jesus wants to be sanctified. Do you know what that means? Have you ever asked the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to be sanctified? What is it that you're asking of me when you say that, Lord? Next slide. God doesn't want you to be like everyone else. Hello? Right? Why be normal? You're not normal. Jesus isn't a... We conform unto Him. And when we conform unto Him, we transform from this to that. He doesn't want you to be normal because you're not. You're an entirely new creation. You are not what you were. You're not. Don't you understand? You are born again. You are, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. What, you gotta, what a lot of us have to do is identify all the old crap in our life and get the junk out of us. Wait a second. That belongs to the guy that was dead. This doesn't belong to me. Why am I carrying this fear forward when the guy who carried the fear is dead? What's my problem? Why is this still here? What needs to change in order for this to get out of my life? We carry baggage forward with us from our former life. We need to identify the crap that we're carrying from our former life and get rid of it. God doesn't want you to be normal because you're not. He doesn't want you to be normal and He wants to know, do you know it? Do you know you're not normal? You're not normal. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not normal. You're the ambassador of Christ. That's not normal, right? You are sons and daughters of the highest. That's not normal. If we were to walk down the street and we were to do interviews, you know, how do you see yourself? Well, uh, the Christian can go, I'm a son and daughter of the highest. I'm an heir of the Spirit in this world and the world to come. All things are mine. It is my Father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. I mean, do you talk like that? That's how you should talk. That should be in your language. That should be part of your identity model. When you go for a job, you can go up. Somebody's going to get that job. It's going to be me. And if it's not that one, then there's a better one. Why? Because my God will give nations for my ransom. Because my God said the bread is for the children. i tell you guys this story. Okay? I, I think I told it a couple weeks ago. My daughter's looking for a job, right? She'd been out of work for like three months, which like never happens. Right? She's usually getting jobs and job opportunities. She'd gone to all these interviews, all this stuff's going on. Everything's happening in her life. She gets one offer, and I'm like, you know, Mariah, you got to take that job. Like, you're falling way behind on your bills. I'm like, this, this is the closest offer that's happened. You need to take this job. And I, I did this big, you know, spiritual counseling thing, you know, gave it, you know, dad's instruction. She comes to me two days later, and she goes, Dad, I'm not taking the job. I'm like, what? You know, Sherry's like looking at me. She's like, oh my gosh, you know, and I'm like, what do you mean you're not taking a job? And she goes, she needs 15 bucks an hour to pay her bills. She said, I'm believing God for $15 an hour. And she said, I want to be paid every week and I want my weekends off. And she said, I'm a faithful giver. My heart is right before the Lord and I believe he will bless me as he always has. I mean, what are you going to say to that? 
I was like, well, that's, that's faith, man. That's way more specific than I was thinking. And you know what happened? Three weeks later, she got exactly what she wanted. Exactly. Yeah. Her boss does an evaluation with her early, right? She's supposed to get a three-month evaluation. He evaluates her two months early. And he says, Mariah, you're totally worth it. I'm going to promote you. He gave her a very large raise and gave her charge over the whole office. Where's your faith? Come on. I mean, her faith was greater than mine. I stood there and was like, well, I guess I got nothing to say there. I mean, it was pretty good. That was... But she knew that God would provide for her because he had done it before. She knew that before him, I, God is my provider. Her name is Mariah, the Lord is my teacher. I always tell her the story that God has provided from you from the time you were born. God has provided. My wife and I didn't have to pay for one thing with this kid. When she was born, you know what I did? I'll give you another little secret to the kingdom, right? My kid's born. You know, Sharon and I were rubbing nickels together. And I asked the Lord, give me a promise over my daughter. I, don't want to, I, don't, I want you to give me a promise over her. And he said, I will always provide for her. I will be the one who provides for her. We didn't even buy diapers, man. We had so many people give us diapers, they were stacked floor to ceiling in our, in our, in our closet. Baby food, everything. She got a scholarship to college, didn't pay one cent. Not one penny. There's nothing. God has provided for her every step of the way. And I have told her that since the time she was a kid. I've told her the testimonies of God over her life. And so here she is now, an adult, and she says, wait a minute. There's a testimony over my life. God has always provided for me. He's never not. You're right, Dad. He has always provided for me. Even when I screwed it up. She'd blow the whole house up. God would give her something and she'd be like Moses and smash it. And he'd come back and give her something else. As soon as she course corrected, he'd bless her again. That's what I told her. Just course correct. He'll bless you again. You don't understand what I did. I go, you don't understand who he is. It's not about what you did. It's about who he is. So you can blow the whole house up and then go, oops, Lord, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. will you honor me again? And he will. And he will. This is how good this God is, man. Right? He blessed her again. And she came to me with that testimony in faith over the things that God had done. What's he done for you? And if you can't find it over your life, find it over another person's life. Because the Bible says he is no respecter of persons. What he has done for one, he will do for another. If you have the faith. If you have the courage and the faith to ask him, Lord, I want that. Okay. Well, let's make some changes so that I can bring you to that. Well, I don't want to make any changes. Well, you're not going to that. That's how it works, right? You can ask him for it. You can ask him for the mountain. He'll give you the mountain. But you're going to have to go and drive the enemies out of that territory to get the mountain. Are you willing to do that? No, no. I just want him to give you the mountain. Well, he just gave you the mountain. You just got to go take it. You get it? This is how this stuff works. Jesus never spoke about career. He spoke about character. Very important. Character determines everything. Who you are and who are you following. That's character. Integrated. Integrity. We think integrity is keeping your word. No, it's when your words and your actions become integrated. That's what integrity means. When you know that this is who you are and you start living as who you are, you become integrated or you have integrity. The Bible tells us not to be conformed to the world around us. We don't think, act, speak, talk, live like them. You're different. You're different. You're out of a job? Says who? Your God will move mountains for you. How do you know? Because the Bible says so. 
He'll get somebody fired so that you can have that job. Well, that's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. This isn't an ego issue with ourselves. Oh, I'm the ego, ego. It's not about your ego. It's about our God. His favor over you. You're not worth it. He says you're worth it. You didn't do anything. You're not beautiful, handsome, and you're just so special that everything comes to you. It's because of Christ. That's why. When you realize that's where your inheritance flows, you're blessed. You're blessed. He will exalt you. you got to really look for it. And you know what the better thing is? You have to want it. If you don't want it, He's not giving it. I'm telling you, if you don't want it, He's not giving it. James and John went to Jesus and said, we want to sit at your right hand. You know what the other disciples were mad about? Because they weren't smart enough to ask Him. They're like, oh, I should have asked Him for that. Hmm. <laughs> Woman at the well, common story here at Elevate. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would what? Ask. Why don't you ask? Because you don't know who's sitting in front of you. That's why you don't ask. You don't know who he is. Oh, I'm offended. You're trying to tell me. I'm telling you straight. If you knew him, you would ask him. If you knew how good he was and how much he truly loves you, you would ask him. Oh, but I'm afraid because you don't understand perfect fear. Love. Come on. I want the kingdom. I tell you this all the time. And you know what? I ask God, how do we activate this stuff? How do we get there? And you know what he does? He shows me. You want activation, Kevin? Oh my gosh, somebody's actually asking me to activate the kingdom. We, we, we paint abstracts. We paint the kingdom as if it's this distant, ununderstandable thing. When it's actually reality. The kingdom is actually performance art more than it is abstract paintings. There's an art in the performing and the living out. That's how the kingdom works. Our actions and our decisions will flow from who we are. I got When you know who you are, what will happen? You'll begin to move away from things who rob you of your identity. People, places, and things. When you truly know who you are, you'll begin to move away from everything that is robbing you of that. The people that are treating you and manifesting your insecurities, the jobs that are asking you to compromise who you are and that are pushing you down, you'll move away from that because you'll begin to understand who you are. And like the, like the prodigal son, my father has many servants. Why am I eating, why am I eating slop with, with hogs? Well, why are you, Christian? Why are you? Go to your father. That's what he did. And he, he, he even went to his father with a very limited understanding with what was going to happen. He said, well, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to ask for this, and if I'm going to, you know, he's coming in there going, but I know he's going to bless me. Somehow, somehow, I'm going to get a blessing. So I'm going to go in there with that attitude. He was not expecting the extravagance. So you can go to God not expecting the extravagance, but you're going to get it. Because he's extravagant. He lavishes his love. Lavishes it. You know why? Because there's no end to it. His love is endless. Heaven's never been broke. It never will be broke. Heaven's not lacking resources. It never will lack resources. We think, well, I don't know, man. Maybe God doesn't have enough. Do you know the earth is creating wealth right now? I had a revelation of that. I shared it here before. I was talking about like asking the Lord for opportunities and looking in and everything, and I felt like the Lord, I kept feeling something under my feet. And so I was kind of like, why am I feeling this weird thing under my feet? And I felt like the Lord started telling me. The earth is a wealth generator. 
It's producing oil, it's producing turquoise, it's producing diamonds, it's producing gold, it's producing um, all of the elements, it's producing it. We think that it's ending. The earth isn't ending. The earth itself is continually giving birth to this stuff. Why? Because we have a life-giving God. And the planet that he created is a life-giving planet. And the people that he created are life-giving people. There's never a lack of resources. Poverty is a curse, and it is a limited understanding that does not come from heaven. That stuff comes from men. Mankind thinks in, in limitations. God thinks in possibilities. How about you? How do you think? Well, we have, it's not going to be enough. I just don't know. It's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough? Okay, well, we need to go to the Lord. Not going to be enough. Did you not see food multiply? Is that true, Ingrid? Is that true? Ingrid, Ingrid and her family feed the poor, right? They go out and they feed the homeless. I'm going to get you to tell the story one time, but I'm going to butcher it. So just come up and smack me if I don't get it right. And they, they were feeding, and Ingrid, they're feeding the poor, right? They're feeding the homeless guys, right? And the homeless people. And Ingrid said, there were so many people there that day that we, I looked at the food, and I said, oh, Lord, there's not going to be enough. And you saw the food multiply. The food multiplied. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe. What God do you serve? It's in your Bible. She's an eyewitness of it. She saw the food multiply. I saw people that had one chicken left. They were feeding people. And they told me before, we had one chicken left. And we ended up feeding like all these other people and we only had one chicken left. I don't know how we fed all these people with one chicken left, but we fed all these people with one chicken left. Who says there's not enough? Who told you that? You? And you think you're smarter than him? Your government? Your society? Your school teacher? Who told you that? They don't know anything. Who are you listening to? Have faith, man. All things are possible. Next slide. Yeah. Come on. Move towards the... What's that? I am. I am. Mickey prayed over me, so I don't know. Whatever. So, The key to a better future is making better choices. Okay, go forward. You got to go forward. Go forward. Okay. All right, so here it is. Move towards the things that enhance your identity. Okay, I'm going to skip down. Begin to integrate your identity into the things in your life. Who you are ethically. Is this something that a son would do? Morally, is this the place that a son or a daughter would do? Is this spiritually how a son or a daughter would act? Begin to line up your identity with your actions. Everybody say this with me. What? Why? What? Number one. You want to make better decisions? Anybody want to make better decisions? Here's my first question. What do you want? What do you want? You would, know if it was, you would know that you were making the right decision if it hit you because you don't even know what you want. A reason for poor decisions is that you don't know what you want, so you just make it up as you go along. There's a saying that was told to me a long time ago when I was in a leadership training, and it said, the world gets out of the way from the person who knows where they're going. You want the world to get out of your way? Well, the first thing you got to understand is get out, know, do you know where you're going? I love the subway analogy. I mean, I've always used Milan because when Sherry and I were in Milan, it was like, that is like a crazy city if you've ever been there. And the subway system is like insane, right? I get off the train with Sherry and there's all these people and I'm getting boom, 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 getting knocked around because I'm standing there and guess what? I don't know where I'm going. So I'm getting knocked around. Sherry, she knows where she's going. She's like, okay, this way because she'd been there before. And so she goes, all right, we're going this way. And then you know what? We start marching through the subway. And everybody starts going, 
Why? Because we knew where we were going. But until I knew where I was going, boom, boom, boom. Everybody's bumping into me and knocking me all around because I had no clue. You wonder why you're getting knocked around? Because you got no clue. Do you know where you're going? That'll solve a lot of your confusion problems right there. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? Here's the five key areas of your life. What do you want from your faith? What do you want from your relationship with the Lord? Where do you want to go with Him? What do you want to be? How do you want to go? What do you want with your family? Whatever your family looks like. Do you want to be married? Yes. Well, what does that look like? You wouldn't know who he was or she was until because you don't have any clue what you want. We live with love the one you're with. Well, how's that working out? Not real well. We don't know what we want. <laughs> What do you want? What do you want with your marriage? What do you want with your kids? What do you want with your family? What do you want? What do you want with your finances? Well, I don't know. I'm just happy to get by. Then you know what you're going to get? You're going to be happy to get by. <laughs> tell the Lord what you want. He'll take you there. I've seen this one a lot. When you tell Him what you want, He's going to take you there. And He's going to start working on you to change you in order to get you there. And you're like, stop poking me, Jesus. Stop poking me. He's poking you because you asked him for something. You want him to stop poking you? Well, stop asking him for something. He's going to poke you because he's trying to get you to go where, he want, where you asked him to go. Friendships. What kind of people you want to be around? You want to be around negative people? What do you want? You got to look at this and go, man, you guys are a bunch of negative turkeys, man. I am tired of walking with turkeys. I'm going to go find some eagles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be an eagle, and I'm tired of living with turkeys. I'm tired of associating with you people. I'm going to go here. It's not that you don't love them. It's just that I can't be with you. I am called to this. What do you want from your future? Next slide. That's question one, guys. What do you want? Why do you want it? Say it with me. Motive matters. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss with the wrong motives. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the motives. You cannot get to the right place with the wrong motive. Why do you want what you want? Why do you want it? Why? Well, I don't know. Well, when you understand why, then you'll probably start moving into the what. But until you don't understand why, well, Lord, I just feel like I want to know because I want, I want to be married because I want to be able to give love to somebody. I want to be able to bless that person. I want to have a mutual relationship that honors you and all that, whatever. You're on the right track. I want my business to succeed. Why? So you can drive the Cadillac and look good and make everybody think you're so-and-so? Or do you want to give it so that, yes, your life can be blessed, but that I can honor God with more? Now you're on the right track. You've got to know why you want what you want, and you've got to line that why up with heaven's why. God wants to bless you. Deuteronomy 8.18 is the Lord your God that gives you the ability to obtain wealth. Why? That you may, there's the why. That you may establish His covenant in the land. He's not just going to give money for money's sake. He gives money to those who will build His house. He gives money to those who will build His work. And we go, well, why isn't God blessing me? Start building His work. Start giving to His house. Oh, when He blesses me, I'll give. You'll never give. You have to start where you're at. I'm telling you, this is active faith. This is how it works. Who does not want to walk in the power of God? Are you kidding me? Resonating with the power of God. Everything going in your life, the power of God is there. It doesn't mean everything's right, but the power of God is there.
Destiny is a series of daily choices based upon who we are and what we want and why we want it. We have to know why. Why do you want it? Why do you want to grow in your faith? Because I want to change the world. Why do you want to change the world? Because you called me to change the world. Because you want people to know you, Lord. Why do you want a family, Kevin? Because I feel like a family is not only going to bless me, but I have a family that can honor you. Why do you want better friends? Because I'm tired of walking around with turkeys, Lord. The turkeys are killing me, man. <laughs> I need some eagles, Jesus. I want to go to the mountain, man. I want to fly. <laughs> so here it is. So there's you got to know the what you want, the why you want it, and then here's the next what. What do you need to change? Woo here we go, right now. All right, now we're going to get practical. What needs to stop? What do you need to stop doing, and what do you need to start doing in order for those things to happen? The bridge between you and your future is a word called change. You gotta cross the bridge of change. Next slide. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What did Peter need to do? Peter needed to stop running. So the question is, what do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? In Peter's case, Peter was running. Every time it got hard, Peter would run. Every time. Marriage gets hard, you run. Kids get hard, you run. Finances get hard, you run. Faith gets hard, you run. He needed to stop doing that in order for God to bring about His purposes in his life. Until Peter stopped running, every time it got hard, nothing was going to change. Luke 18.22, when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, this is the rich young ruler, you lack one thing, sell what you have, give to the poor, that you may have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. What did this guy need? He was idolizing his wealth. He was worshiping the wrong things. Everything was about his idols. He was not worshiping the true God. And more than likely, he was idolizing himself. It was all about him. My money, my time, my wants, my needs, my feelings. Nothing inconvenienced him. If it inconvenienced him, he didn't want anything to do with it. And Jesus is confronting him with his idolatry. He needed to stop idolizing himself, and he needed to stop idolizing other things. And worship the true God. And say, it's not about me, it's about you. It doesn't matter if it inconveniences me. It doesn't matter if it hurts me. It doesn't matter if it costs me something. It's not about me, it's about you. And until he got that, nothing was going to change. Luke 4.42, the people were looking for Jesus. He's just rock star. He just blew the whole place up. He's in a city, boom, 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 holding the revival, and it's on. And Jesus doesn't stay. He leaves. And so everybody goes out and looks for him. They're like, where are you going, man? He said, i got to go proclaim the kingdom to other towns. That is why I was sent. Jesus needed to say no in order to say yes. He had to say no to this in order to say yes to this. You understand? Some of you need to stop start saying no to this in order that you can start saying yes to this. And until Jesus was a, Jesus didn't have any problem with it. He's just like, no, we're going here. Because he understood. But a lot of us, you've got to stop saying no. Because when you say no, you're saying yes to something else. And if you are, if you are a no person and you love to say no, I'd bring you up to the first one and stop saying no to everything. No. 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 Oh, I've got to come on Saturday? No. 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 That's, you're idolizing yourself. But they, people want to pull you onto an agenda that is not God's. 
And you have to say no to the agendas that are not the Lord's. Last slide. Here it is. I'm over. I thought I was going to be early today, but eh, didn't happen. Here's your takeaway. You guys want some takeaways? I take my wife's encouragement. She says, you know, you say these crazy good things. You need to give people something. You you need to give them a place to interact with what you just told them. I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. Here, make a list. Everybody say it with me. Do it today. Right? Take 30 minutes out of your life and make a list. Who are you? Who do you see yourself as? Who does the Lord see you as? What do you understand your identity to be in him? Write it down. You ready for this one? What do you want? What do you want? This might take you a little bit of time. Map it out. Faith, family, finances, future, friends, your five. Map it out. What do you want? Write down those five and say, what do I want? And start sketching it in. What is it that you want? Then you come to the second phase. You just start it today, but work on it throughout the week. Some of it's going to take a little bit of time because you've never asked these questions before. Why do you want it? Why do you want that? Don't be afraid to expose your motives. We're so afraid that our motives are impure. So what? Well, I want this for the wrong reason. So what is the real reason I should want this? Then start wanting it for that reason. Change your motive. Then write down what do you need to change, what needs to start, and what needs to stop. This is going to transform you if you'll take this as an exercise and do it. It's going to shift you. This is why you're stuck in a moment. This is why you play here we go around the mountain. This is why you keep making bad decisions. These are keys to decision making. So if you want to stop doing it, you need to start doing this. And you need to write it down. Say it with me. The dullest pen or dullest pencil, excuse me, dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind. I had a mentor tell me that one time. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to write it down. I got it up here. He's like, oh, yeah? Dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind, Kevin. I write everything down. Come to my house, you're going to go, what is with all these notepads all over the place? I like have stacks of them. Stacks over here. There's a stack over there. Sherry's like, Kevin, what are we doing? Don't touch those. Those are my ideas. Don't touch those. Those are my notes. <laughs> Don't touch those. Those are the revelations God have given me. I got stacks of notepads everywhere, man. She's like, well, can we put them all in one place? So if you ever come to my house and there's a big box of notepads, you know what's going on there. I write it down. You need to learn to write it down. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing. I bless these people this morning. I honor their hearts, God, to know of you. I release your spirit into, over, and through their lives. I pray, Father, that your release over them, that you would show them, that you would help them to understand what's going on, what's wrong, why things keep repeating, that you would give them the humility, Lord, to press in, give them the humility to ask questions. You'd give them the humility, Lord, to tune in and listen to what it is that you're saying. And Lord, that you would show them what they want. You would help them to show them and reveal motive. Even if the motive isn't correct, you would show them the correct motives. And then you would show them what needs to change, what needs to happen, what needs to shift. It's all for your glory, Lord, that your people would become who you have called them to be, that your church would become what you have called her to be. This is what you are laboring towards, Lord. 
to bring people to you, to bring us into our identity, to bring us into our future and into our hope. And we decide, Lord, and we choose today to partner with you. And so we give you, say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to act upon my life according to this message. I want to be a better decision maker. I want to be who you have called me to be. And I want to have what you've called me to have. Awaken my heart, Lord, and grant me understanding in Jesus' name. And let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May He be gracious to you. And may He give you peace. And forever may you abide within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. High five. Have a great week.